Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Um, we're going to hear God's Word this morning from John chapter 21. Uh, we have spent many, many weeks here at Resurrection working our way through the Gospel of John. Um, and I, I meant to look this morning and see exactly how many weeks it's taken, and I, I didn't look, so I, don't, I can't actually tell you. But I can tell you that I am very excited for us to reflect together on John chapter 21 because there is such beauty here. There is such beauty in the way that John chapter 21 brings together so much of what has been talked about all through the Gospel of John, all through the picture of Jesus that John has showed us. We have seen the way that the, the primary, you could say the primary theme of the Gospel of John is that Jesus has brought heaven to earth. He has brought heaven to earth to show us who God really is, to show us what the life of heaven should look like on earth. And last week we saw that Jesus, in fact, left heaven on earth as he left the Holy Spirit for his disciples to be God on earth to bring the power of heaven, the power of God himself into the life of his church, into the life of his people. And through all of this, as you would expect with heaven coming to earth, we have seen a Jesus of power throughout all of John, that Jesus is 100% absolutely in control at every moment. Jesus strides across the pages of John, doing this and that and saying what is to be done, People oppose him, people object him, people question him. He doesn't answer their questions. He answers their questions with other questions. He answers their questions with things that don't seem like answers. They try to stone him, he walks away from them. Jesus is fully in control. Even when he was standing before the Roman governor Pilate, and he's like, I have the authority to kill you or not. And Jesus is like, mm, no you don't. So, sorry. And once again, here in John chapter 21, we see Jesus fully in control. And so, not that this is our last glimpse of Jesus, because, you know, we'll be here next Sunday seeing Jesus somewhere else in the Bible. But, but as far as the Gospel of John itself is concerned, this is the parting vision of Jesus. And as, so, as I read this, listen for the power, listen for the control, listen for the love and tenderness that we see in our Savior. It's John chapter 21, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. After this... Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the, sea, by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, 
for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred years off, hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to the, him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He, that's Jesus, said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against, against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written about these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, for this word. We thank you for this beautiful picture of our Savior Jesus. We thank you this word was written down and preserved for us. And we pray now that as we reflect on it together, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you may sink this word deep into us, that it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live, today and in days to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you've probably heard the proverb, uh, not, not the proverb from the Bible, but the proverb uh, in our culture. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? So the, the idea of that proverb is, okay, if you fool me, like, okay, that's your, you're a bad person for fooling me. But after you fool me once, I should have my guard up and I should watch out. And if you fool me twice, that's my problem. I should have been paying more attention. And I searched a little bit to see if that proverb was ever continued, and to fool me three times. Like, what happens the third time? And there, there's a few things out there, but they're all, they're all a little murky. So really, it's just, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. For that is the idea that is innate to us, that we need to protect ourselves. And that's just after being fooled once, fooled twice. 
what we see here in John chapter 21 is that Jesus has not been fooled, but the underlying picture of all of this is that Jesus has been denied three times. Threes are everywhere here, and it's very convenient for us. It's the third, third anniversary celebration of resurrection. But truthfully, the threes here are not really a good thing. The threes here show the depth of human failure. Because throughout this story, if you pay attention to the details, what we see is the glorious, powerful, compassionate Jesus. And we see weak and failing humans. And if you gloss through quickly, you may miss some of it. But if you look at the details, you realize it. Starting with, in verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And that leads to the question, like, why three times? Why did Jesus have to do this a third time? We just, in the chapter before, and if you here, were here last week, we saw Jesus appear twice to his disciples after he had already sent Mary Magdalene to tell them. So Mary Magdalene tells them and says, the Lord is risen. Effectively, let's go tell everybody that Jesus is risen. Let's go do what he told us to do. What do they do? They hide in a locked room. Jesus shows up and tells them, you have the Holy Spirit. Just as I've been sent, I am sending you. He sends them out to do his work. What do they do? They go back to the locked room. And Thomas is with them, the one who didn't even believe them the first time. What does Jesus do? He comes again. He says, here I am. Touch me. We saw last week how every, all his disciples are forgiven by Jesus. What do they do after they've seen him again? Once for Thomas, twice for the others, already a third time if you count the reference from Mary Magdalene. What do they do? They go back to Galilee and go fishing. Now, the text doesn't really tell us, but it doesn't seem like the right place to be. Right? It doesn't seem like the definition of being sent out by Jesus for them to return to fishing, where they catch nothing, right? They are not doing what Jesus has said. He had to show himself a third time. And then what does he do? He calls Peter specifically. Where, where is he? I love it. When, he, when they get to shore, where'd it go? Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And I love this. Because Jesus was like, hey, cast out your net for fish. And then they get to the shore and Jesus is like, hey, look, I've got fish for you. Like, I already had them, right? And the charcoal fire, the last time we saw a charcoal fire in John, Peter was warming himself by a charcoal fire while Jesus was on trial, where he denied him three times. So it's no accident that Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? It's three times, do you love me, for each of Peter's denials. Why was Peter grieved the third time that Jesus asked? It's not that Jesus was wrong to ask. It's not that Jesus hurt his feelings or that Jesus shouldn't have said it. He was grieved as he was reminded of his own sin and failure. And so what we see here is that we fail repeatedly. This, this is full of human failure. We will repeatedly fail. When Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? It's a little bit unclear exactly what Jesus is talking about. But most likely, he's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And why would he say that? Because Peter said he was the best. Peter said he was the one who would never fail, who would not forsake him when all the others did. And Jesus comes and says, Peter, you sure? You love me more than these other guys do? 
Let's talk about that. We see human failure. And yet, in the midst of that human failure, we see an even greater Savior. And as we reckon honestly with our failure and our weakness, the glory of Jesus becomes more. Because the, the great message here is that Jesus pursues his own. Two weeks ago, uh, in the beginning of John chapter 20, the first time we talked about the resurrection uh, in this series through John, we said, we called it found by Jesus. That Jesus went and found Mary. They couldn't find him. And we see that that continues. He went to the, upper, to the room where the disciples had the doors locked. Now they've gone off north to the Sea of Galilee. That's what Tiberius, another name for Galilee. Jesus goes and finds them there. He pursues them. Because Jesus will pursue his own. And what does he do when he finds them? Does he rebuke? Does he criticize? Does he shame? And he's certainly aware. But instead, he invites them in. The great beauty here is that Jesus pursues his people. And then he invites them into the mission. He tells them to bring the fish, even though he's already got fish. He's already got fish on the shore, but he wants them to bring their fish too. As he reminds Peter of his failure, he reminds Peter all the more that he still has a mission for him. Tend my sheep. Care for my lambs. Feed my flock. Peter, you go. Follow me and lead my people. He has a mission for Peter. And so Jesus pursues his own. He invites us into his mission. What do we do here? We're not being called as we recognize our own failure and weakness in this story. We're not being called to wallow in that. We're not being called to feel ashamed in that. We're being called to follow. That's what Jesus says to Peter. Verse 19, after saying this, after he gives him his assignment, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. What do we see? We see Jesus' love. We see that we are to follow Jesus in love. As we see that he has pursued us, he has come after us, we follow him in love. And we take all that he has given us and we give it out to other people. Because that is the mission that Jesus has given us. So what's our problem in this? This is easy to say, right? So we follow, Jesus loves us, we follow him. It sounds great. But the first problem is that we know that we fail repeatedly. And because of our failures, we get stuck in all kinds of problems. We get stuck maybe in the cynicism of that proverb where we've got to protect ourselves. We get stuck in our shame at the number of times that we have followed. Did you catch that Peter threw himself into the sea? And you wonder, what did he... Like, it doesn't actually say what happened after that. Peter does appear on the land, so he got there somehow. On a quick reading, you think, oh, Peter was so excited to see Jesus. Maybe. Probably. But the last person I remember being thrown into the sea was Jonah when he had disobeyed. And he told the sailors to throw him into the sea. And you wonder here if Peter is jumping into the sea out of excitement or if Peter is jumping into the sea out of shame. We never know. We're a mixture of those things, aren't we? Mixed up in our excitement to do what Jesus wants, to do the right thing, and caught up in our shame that makes us just want to hide. For we know that we have done wrong. So how do we get out of it? What we see here is to get out of this, to actually follow Jesus. We have to focus on him and the glory that he has given, that he shows here. So here we see three quick things by way of 
application, by way of understanding what Jesus wants for us, by way of focusing our eyes on his glory. Three things we see here specifically about Jesus. Jesus feeds us, Jesus restores us, and Jesus sends us. That's how we can see the glory of the one who pursues his own, the one who rules over all things. He feeds us, he restores us, he sends us. So first, he feeds us. What is Jesus doing here fundamentally? He's feeding his people. He's giving them the strength. He gives them everything he needs, they need. Literally, he feeds them breakfast. And it's funny here, if you, if you look carefully, they come to shore in verse 9. They see the charcoal fire, fish, and bread. Jesus says, bring on the fish. And then Jesus says, they're just kind of standing there. Verse 12, Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. It doesn't say what happened. It says, now none of the disciples dared ask him. Like, did they come or not? Probably not. Because in verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. They just, they, we can't do this on our own. We cannot get what we need on our own. We need Jesus to come and feed us. And the good news is that he does. He feeds us all that we need. What do we have in front of us here on the table every Sunday? We have the food that Jesus gives us, the bread and the cup, his body and blood. This is one way that Jesus feeds us. Jesus feeds us through his, his body and blood that he gives us every Sunday. How does that work? We don't really know, but it works. It means something that Jesus feeds us and that he hands it to us. He gives it to us to feed us. How else does Jesus feed us? Jesus feeds us through his word. As we come and we listen to it preached, as we study it on our own, as we read it in community with others, he feeds us through his word. Jesus feeds us through prayer. As we spend time sitting before him, asking him for things, sitting him in his presence, recognizing his power, recognizing his strength, he feeds us and strengthens us for this life. So what do we do if Jesus feeds us? What does it mean to follow him in love, seeing that Jesus feeds us? It means to accept his food, to put yourself in the places for his food. It does, it's not always pretty. It wasn't pretty for the disciples. It wasn't pretty how Peter got to shore. He threw himself into the sea. Like, it was not pretty, but he got there to be fed by Jesus. Peter's great here. He throws himself into the sea. Then he shows up again on the shore. Jesus, they're bringing in the fish. Jesus says, bring those fish over there. Peter's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll go get the fish. And then Jesus says, do you love me? He's like, yeah, I love you. I love you. I love you. Right? He's just, he's trying to put himself in the right place, but he's a mess. And so this morning, if you know that you are a mess, that you do not have it all together, you've put yourself in the right place to be fed by Jesus, to listen to his word, to sing with God's people, to eat of his body and blood. How, whatever it takes to get here, just come. Whatever mess you are, you're putting yourself in the right place. Your prayers may not be perfect during the week, your reading may not be, may, you may not understand everything that you read. But as you take yourself in all of your sin and shame and you open up his word, he's feeding you. As you look at him and say, Jesus, help me, he's feeding you. When I don't know what else to pray, I take a prayer from Mark, from the blind uh, Bartimaeus at the, at the road to Jerusalem. who said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Sometimes that's all you can say. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The early church added to that, Jesus, have son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Combining different parts of scripture. Jesus feeds us. We put ourselves in place to be fed by him. Second, Jesus restores us. Even though Peter was grieved by the third question, the restoration is beautiful. Those of you who think that you have fallen, that you have done wrong, that God could not use you, have you really done worse than Peter? Have you denied Jesus three times while he's looking at you? While he's right there on trial for his life and Peter says, I never knew him? Have you done worse than Paul when his name was Saul and he was persecuting the church? And yet, as we look at the New Testament, as we look at the history of the early church, who are the pillars of the church? They are Peter and Paul, the great apostles and leaders of the church, the man who was rebuked most strongly by Jesus and denied him three times at the end, and then the man who actually persecuted and helped kill Christians. And Jesus restored them. The restoration here is beautiful. How do we get ourselves to recognize the restoration of Jesus? It's not something that we do. There's a beautiful detail in Peter's responses. I said earlier, Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I love you, I love you. But each, actually, what he says each time is, Lord, you know that I love you. First time, Lord, you know that I love you. That's verse 15. Verse 16, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 17, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. See, Peter is not appealing to his own strength to make up for his own failure. He is appealing to God's forgiveness. He is appealing to God's knowledge to say, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know my heart. You know that I am repentant. You know that I am sorry that I wish I had not done that. You know that I love you. He does not say it in his own strength. Even that first question, um, do you love me more than these? If we take that, I mean these other people, Peter just leaves that out. Let's, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Let's not do any more saying that I'm better than them. Just you know that I love you. So when we need the restoration of Jesus, which each of us need each day, for we fail and sin in so many ways, we appeal not to our own strength, not to our own ability to do better, but to God's love and mercy. And we say, Lord, you know that I love you. Why do I love you? Because you have forgiven me. We appeal to his forgiveness. For Jesus here has risen from the dead. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of these sins so that their sins could be forgiven, so that Peter could be restored. And after we've been fed, after we've been restored, then we are sent. For Jesus sends us. This is the beauty of what's going on here. And he sends us each in our own way. He tells Peter as he restores him, he gives him a mission. Feed my sheep, tend my flock, take care of my lambs. I forget the exact language, it's down there. Uh, and he says to Peter something specific for him. I truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. It's basically to say that Peter would be crucified. 
stretch out his hands and be taken to the cross. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. He was sent for God's glory. And then Peter's like, wait, what about, what about John? What about him? And Jesus is like, yeah, I got other plans for him. Because Jesus has his own mission. Jesus has his mission for all of us, for his people, his church, to be his presence on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would truly be Jesus on earth. But within that mission of us collectively as a body, as a place for each one of us. And it's different. And then this will be an issue throughout all of the New Testament as God's people fight and bicker both about their cultural differences, but also about who's better and who has the better roles and who has the better gifts. And over and over in the letter, both in the history and Acts and in the letters of Paul, we see the apostles saying, no, we are one body. Everybody has their own gifts, their own roles, their own place to play. Because Jesus feeds us, he is the one who gives us the strength, he restores us when we have sinned and fallen. He sends us on mission as a body collectively and each in our own way. And so the question for each of us is what is Jesus calling us to? As a church, as we celebrate three years as resurrection and God's faithfulness, we always look to the future. We have much life ahead of us. Three years is not very long, and so the question for us collectively is what does God have for us in the next year, in the next three years, in the next 30 years? And within that, what does God have for each one of us? What is God calling me to? Where has he put my place to serve? What flock is he calling me to? What sheep am I called to feed? What is God's mission for me? How is Jesus sending me? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love to us. We thank you for your compassion for us. We thank you that you demonstrate your forgiveness and care for each of us. We pray now that as we reflect on your word together, we pray that you would show each of us what it means for us. And that you would remind us of your glory and beauty once again. Send us where you will, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.